Well, amen and amen. Sorry, there was a bird that just caught as soon as we went back to uh, me here live. But that's the beauty of, of doing this live, and uh, it's hopefully to connect with you as we connect with the Lord together. Hey, we're continuing on in our series during Eastertide, this time of resurrection after the, the, the historical resurrection. And as we do so, we are um, in our series called Take Courage, and I want to encourage you all to take courage into emotionally healthy spirituality this morning. Um, some of you right now, mainly the men, probably just turned, uh, tuned me out because when we're talking about emotions, it's just not something that we're, we're accustomed to talking through. Um, it's not something that our, our, our background or our culture says that men should be truly attuned to our emotions. Instead, it's something that we should ignore. Um, and then we get married, and then we, we enjoin ourselves to a female. And um, that can often be a, a disorienting and more emotional world than we have. And then we have daughters, right, and sons. And we're even more disoriented as men. But this isn't just a world right now that we're in where males are disoriented or perhaps pushed away due to emotional uh, aptitude. No, this is a time when we're all a little confused and we're all a little disoriented. And so today I want to invite you a little bit closer. I want to invite you to rethink tuning this day out as somehow insignificant to your spiritual maturity as men or as women, as those that, are, um, that, that continually pursue new things or those that are better at sitting still. Uh, I'm, my prayer for us is that we would come to the scriptures um, truly just as they read and be able to love the Lord your God, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. I pray that we will not dismiss this message today, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, single, married, parents, male, female, doesn't matter. I pray that instead we would dial in um, our hearts more than anything, because um, we will never be able to pursue loving God. We will never be able to pursue loving our neighbor well, without also being able to love ourselves well. Um, I want to invite you into that because um, the reality is this. Um, there's, a, there's a guy that I quoted last week. His name is Peter Scazzaro. Um, he says this about our emotional maturity. He says this, like, It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Immature, And so if you're tempted to, to just kind of dismiss this idea of emotional health, um, let me invite you to do some hard work. This is the hard work of Psalm 139, 23 and 24, where the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Like that's hard work to ask that of the Lord and then to actually pursue what it is he's showing us in our hearts and in our minds. So as we, as we join in this and as we rediscover the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said. As we rediscover that, I want to put a little emphasis here today on what does it mean to love yourself? Because first and foremost, well, the way that I want to do this today is a, a short little sermon, a, a homily, if you will, and then we're going to sit down with, um, with Wiley and Bethany, those that you know, but I want to introduce them a little bit differently later. 
And as we rediscover this greatest commandment, I want us to, to focus not on loving God, not on loving our neighbor. We talk a lot about that. I want to talk about loving ourself because it's implied in the greatest command. You see, Matthew says, to love the Lord your God with your whole, the, all, the whole of who you are, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Mark would add, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest command that Jesus is quoting here is from Deuteronomy 6. It's Moses's second telling of the law as, as God's people start to enter into a new land, a promised land, and a new ethic will drive this new culture. What will be that ethic? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when he starts to, to, to pull this, when Jesus starts to quote this, he's not just like categorizing our insides of mind, heart, soul, and strength. He is instead emphasizing for us that the whole person of who you are um, should be one that is dedicated to loving the Lord. And then therefore, as we are loving the Lord, that gets demonstrated on how we love others, but also with how we love ourselves. You see, this passage out of Deuteronomy that Jesus is quoting, this passage that Jesus quotes as the greatest command is, is both quality and quantity of our love. Like, will we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's quality and it's quantity. And here's what I mean by that. It's, it's not just about do you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's also about will you love God with every passion that you have, with every thought and desire that you have, with your decisions that you make, with every ounce of strength that you can channel towards loving the Lord, will you pursue all of that quality and quantity? We will give our first but also will we give our all to give our first? So rephrased, right, is this idea that we would love God, others, and self with our whole being, not just our strength, not just our mind, but also with our soul, also with everything that encompasses being a human, with our bodies as well. I would say this, we spend and have spent a lot of time in the Christian world focusing on loving God, and loving our neighbor. And matter of fact, it's, it's, it's plastered all over our walls, all over our mission statements, all over our values. And I think that's good and right and beautiful. But we have done so to the neglect at what it looks like to love our self. Because it was not only the driving ethic of this new community that God was establishing in the Old Testament. It was also the underlayment um, of this New Testament ethic. If you want to know what I mean by that, um, the, 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 the relationship between a husband and wife has always been meant to describe or reflect um, God's love for his people, right? And so in Ephesians 5, we have this great picture of what it is that God uh, expects of husbands and expects of wives because that's how he loves us and how he expects the, the church, his bride, to love and respect him, right? And this is what it says about this New Testament ethic of self-love. It's not new age. It's not, it's not um, um, like, like as Bethany said earlier on in the week, treat yourself, or as Parks and Rec has to say, right? That's not what we're talking about. Because in fact, we are called to deny ourselves. We are called to, to not indulge in ourselves. But my, my question for us is, how do we know what to die to if we don't spend any attention to what's going on in our hearts and our souls. 
So this New Testament ethic of loving others is based in an assumption that we know how to love ourselves. Love your neighbor as you also love yourself. Love your wife as you also love yourself. Look with me in Ephesians 5, verse 28, on God's commandment on how to love your spouse, particularly as husbands love their wives. Look at what it says. In the same way husbands should love their wives, how? Not just as Christ has loved the church, but as their own bodies. How do you love yourself, men? How do you love yourself, women? As your own bodies. As he who loves his wife also loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, his own body. No one ever hated his own body, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Don't we? When we know it's time to eat, we cherish it. We nourish it. We do those things, right? It's just an assumptive part of life that we know how to love ourselves. He goes on to say this, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. You see, the, the assumption and the implication here is that we understand how to love ourselves. But my friends, my fear is that we don't know how to love ourselves. My, my fear is that we have, we have ignored loving ourselves to the point where we have neglected soul care um, and we have emphasized others' care way more uh, than what is a proper or appropriate balance in the New Testament. So what does this look like? Well, I'm going to give you three examples quickly before we sit down with our friends that I think are helpful for us to understand what emotionally healthy spirituality looks like and what our um, maturity might look like. The first one is in this resurrected scene where Thomas um, speaks honestly. My prayer for us as we pursue emotional health um, during this Eastertide season, that we would take courage much like our boy Thomas did in the upper room because he spoke honestly about what he needed with the community around him. You remember this scene? It's eight days after the resurrection. Jesus has revealed himself to several of the other guys. Thomas was not there during that time. And he says, hey, look, unless I see the nails, the marks where the nails went, unless I put my, my fingers, my hand in his side, I will never believe. He honestly states what he needs in the moment in order to have peace. And the beautiful part is that he is not condemned by that honesty. Friends, he is not condemned by that honesty. Instead, what does Jesus do? In the very next part of that passage, Jesus shows up and he says, Thomas, peace be with you. Peace with my Father, but also the personification of peace. Now that you've spoken what you need, peace is here. Jesus himself in the flesh. So Thomas, put your hand here and here. We need to be honest about where we are emotionally and spiritually in order to be healed through this time and any time. That's example number one about honesty. I also want to bring you close to the Old Testament figure of David. And, and, and in that, that example, what we see is not just honesty, but self-awareness. We're going to talk a little bit about that key to being uh, emotionally and spiritually mature. But this idea of being self-aware, if you remember the scene, right, David has volunteered to go fight the, the, the giant Goliath. And what happens? The Bible says that Saul put his armor on David. It says Saul clothed David with his armor in 1 Samuel 17. Now you can imagine the scene, right? A younger boy compared to a, 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 like an adult man with, with real armor. You can see him clunking around, trying to figure out if this is going to fit. And he says, we haven't tested this. David goes to Saul and goes, we haven't tested this. I don't feel comfortable with this. This isn't how I fight my fights. I've, 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 uh, I've, uh, 
I have beat and uh, had victory over a mountain lion, right, over a bear. I didn't have any armor for that. Instead, I had this slingshot and my five smooth stones. You can imagine the pressure that David would have felt on that day going into battle with no armor. The entire army is around him. They all got armor on, and he has nothing except a slingshot and five stones. He was self-aware enough to not succumb to cultural pressure or authoritative pressure on him. And instead, he was self-aware enough to know, this isn't me. I gotta go with my limitations And his limitations freed him to be who God created him to be, to do what he needed to do in the way that he was equipped to do it. Self-awareness. Not just honesty, but self-awareness. And then the final one is this. Kindness. Kindness. Paul David Tripp says this about self-talk, about what's going on on the inside of of our brains. He says this. No one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. That's a a concept that we might giggle at at first, that we talk to ourselves. But our uh, self-talk, my prayer for you is that it would be kind. Um, and where do we get this idea of self-talk? Well, there's this, uh, there's this other uh, figure in the Old Testament in Judges 6. His name is Gideon. Um, as Gideon is, is like the, the cycle that he was in with the judges is that the Israelites would cultivate and plant and harvest all year long. And right when it came time to harvest, the Midianites would come in, defeat the Israelite um, armies, and take all the harvest. They would basically take everything that they worked so hard for all year long. And so you find yourself, and Gideon finds himself thinking to himself, this self-talk out of the scriptures. He's like, man, the Lord has abandoned us. The Lord has left us on our own. He has forsaken us, and he is not with us, and therefore we are weak and we are feeble. We see this because the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon, and he says, Oh, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon's response is like, The Lord has forsaken us. Are you kidding me? This is tough times. There's famine. We don't have enough food. He's not with us. But truly, Gideon's self-talk was self-centered. It was self-pity when he says, I'm abandoned, I'm forsaken. And God reshaped his identity, reshaped his future by being present with him and bringing peace, just like he did with Thomas. So my, my hope for us is not that we would just be honest with our community about what we would need, but we would also be self-aware and we would be kind to ourselves. This is a great song by Andrew Peterson that literally is, Be Kind to Yourself. Go look it up this week. It'll be food for your soul. But be kind to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself that you are loved, that you are, you are chosen, you are brought into uh, the family of God. Um, how can that voice be cultivated? How can the self-aware, honest, and kind voice be cultivated? How can we learn to listen to that? How can we root that voice in the truth of God's word? And how can we be reminded that that voice truly is the Holy Spirit.